Hello and welcome. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are listening to the Two Beers Please podcast. We are back after a week's hiatus. We've been kind of silent. Yeah, we are. Both Matt and I were kind of on the move. Me within New York, Matt getting back to the big city. But we are back and we are better than ever. Uh, just a reminder, you can find us on Instagram at two beers, please underscore podcasts on Twitter at two BP underscore podcast. That's the number two BP underscore podcast. We're on Facebook and you can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also don't forget, we have a September donation initiative. We'll be donating a dollar per September episode. Listen to a Black Lives Matter charity. You guys have already done a lot of great work. We already have to open up our wallets um, more than I think either of us have a lot of money, but we're make, ready to do make it. Make us broker <laughs> than we already are. Make us broke for a good cause. If I'm going to go broke, I want it to be for this cause and not because I'm on FanDuel every other day. Well, I'm already That's broke. what I say. So, just, so there you go. But dig me deeper. Dig me deeper. Uh, dig me deeper. I'm already there. Dig me. Already there. And I'm already there. Uh, we. Let's talk about the topics we got going on in this episode. Uh, we could have our first Stanley Cup finalist after tonight's action. The Nuggets are proving to be gold yet again. And the U.S. Open has two new Grand Slam champions. But first, we have a review. And yes, this is called Our Biggest Fans. Well, I would have to say that the my favorite podcast, my favorite podcast right now is the Two Beers Please podcast. Those boys really know their stuff, and it does feel like I'm kicking back at a lot of local watering hole with these two. I'd say that the Two Beers Please podcast is all right, all right, all right. Yeah, thank you so much. That's one of our fans, uh, I believe. Sorry if I'm butchering this. It's Matthew McConaghy. So thank you, Matthew McConaghy. Uh, really nice words from you. Really That's lovely right. to hear from all of our fans. And um, we hope to see you one day Oscar in winner. the future. Yeah, truthfully, Oscar winners truth- only listen to good podcasts. They only listen. probably I, now that's no, that's way too much of a blanket statement. But this one <laughs> does. Hey, you know what? This is the podcast to make you, blanket statements. What do you think McConaughey's doing when he's driving around in those Lincolns, listening to the Two yeah. Beers Please podcast? That's what he's doing. That's and, where and he talking gets to his- himself, but. Yeah, both of those things. He's doing them simultaneously. And he's like, I feel like Matt and Yannick are there with me in the Lincoln. And it's phenomenal. All right, let's do a little compadre corner. Uh, Matt, how are we feeling? You know, you're back in the city. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, dude, it's uh, I'm well. You know, after like almost six months of being away, finally back in the city. Uh, it's been It's been an interesting week. Like... I think the fact that I could look at these last six months as anything other than just like hell. Um, but like it was a real, a real gift to get that time with my parents and my siblings and little puppies we got and my friends at home. So the fact that I can take a positive from so much shitty stuff, I think just shows how lucky I am because I don't think most people can probably be like, Oh man, that was a really nice six months where I got to spend with my family. So Feeling very lucky that, uh, you know, I can have that perspective on it, but it's good to be back. It was like, there's always that, especially being gone so long, I was like, am I going to get back and forget how to take the subway? But kind of picked up right where I left off, which is nice. You know, it makes a place actually feel like home. So it's good to be back. 
I want you to know the image that I had in my head was the doors opening and you going, ah, oh, no, what ha- What now? Do I got to I, I am so close. Like, can somebody help me? And still just like perplexed in. by the, like, people are obviously getting on and off. And I still am just like, I can't grasp what I'm supposed to do here. I got on and that was the mistake. How did I get that this was far? The- Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad I had to get out and I just stay in the subway for several weeks. Yeah. I would, I think Matt living in the subway would be an aesthetic choice for sure. For sure. I think you'd be, yeah, I think you'd be much beloved wherever you were. Um, (laughs) The mole people of New York City will, will love me. Yeah. Greet you with open arms for sure. For sure. Well, I'm glad you're feeling that way. I also had the same feeling. You know, being in Iowa, coming back to New York, that's privilege, people. That right there, that is privilege. And I am, you know, blessed to have it. But I'm also acknowledged that, you know, it's definitely something that not everyone has the luxury of having. And, you know, thoughts and prayers out to uh, everyone still dealing with the fallout of this awful pandemic and obviously out to the West coast as they battle terrible weather conditions and the firestorms and everything that's going on over there, the pictures that are coming out of Los Angeles and Portland and all of those uh, cities are harrowing. So that's another uh, something else that I have on my mind. Uh, I'm also doing well. I've been in New York for a couple of weeks. I moved to a new neighborhood though, recently in Washington Heights. I am in the Heights and it is great. Uh, I love my new Latin neighborhood. Uh, For those of you that don't know, I am half Bolivian, not the heritage that I embraced so much when I was a kid, but I'm starting to embrace it more and more. And it's really nice. Got a really nice family cultural feel to the street. And I I really do. It's the kind of street where everyone's out on their stoops drinking coffee at eight in the morning. So like when I'm going to work, everyone's like greeting me or like talk or like dishing on this front stoop. It's really cool. I do really like it. And I'm excited to start my life here for however long I am in this location. Um, Let's go to our next segment. It is, we're entering the beer garden. That's right. Let's talk about what we are drinking. Matt, what do you got on your lips today? Of course, it's going to be a German beer garden. Beer garden. I should have known. Um, I've got, you know, being back in New York, I had to have, I had to have a New York beer. So I got a little Brooklyn Brewery, Bel Air Sour, um, I like I've, we've talked about Brooklyn Brewery a lot, but there's always it's, mostly I think I like Brooklyn Brewery because it's like all the bodegas have like a lot of Brooklyn Brewery. So then like I respect that out of Brooklyn Brewery to be like, how many times can I say Brooklyn Brewery? But great sour. I'm drinking it. I'm drinking it out of this wonderful Green Bay Packers mug that my wonderful co-host here Yannick got me as a, a return present. Um, Mostly I love this one too because like Bel Air Sour is such a nice name. And then the design's very like Miami in the 80s vibe. It's got like baby blue and pink and it's a, good, it's a good summer beer. We got what, like a week left of summer. So figured I'd get one in one more time. What are you sipping on? Yeah, I am. So I am drinking out of an identical, obviously different team mug that I got while I got Matt's mug. It is the New England Patriots and... I am drinking, you know, football's back, and what better beer to drink with football than a Bud Light? That's right. I went back to Bud Light, drinking a Bud Light here uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and it is delicious, and it is especially delicious because it comes out of a victory mug 
today after this weekend's performance. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't be feeling my oats more than I am right now. The Celtics are about to go in the conference finals. Cam Newton gets the win with the Patriots. I have a new mug. There's Bud Light in it. I got a new candle that's lit that you can't see, but it is just phenomenal. I am feeling myself. I got a here new in the candle. Beer that is nice. A good you know candle. I mean, a good candle is. Ooh, it's tough to beat. It's an oatmeal cookie candle. So I it love, smells. I like that. Delicious. I love. Candles. I also have. Oh, candles are great. Candles are great. My girlfriend is obsessed with candles, and she's got this whole website that like tailors candles to different like literary experiences it's so great i don't have the kind of money to like even go on the website because i love those i love those subscription sort of package things oh yeah they're so fun so much fun so unnecessary but so much fun but they are and fun they're so much fun i also have to say i don't know when the end of summer is i feel like every week someone's like oh Last week of summer, September twenty second. September twenty second is when fall begins. Okay, so September twenty second, fall. Is it a possibility that summer has already ended, but fall hasn't begun? So we're in this no. weird like waiting. <laughs> nope, we're still technically yeah. in summer. Okay, so everybody who's been posting like last day of summer for the last two weeks, people always act like Labor Day. Here. I mean, yeah. Well, like I understand what people mean. We're like the weather goes down, or like you school starts for you or something, but you know, as the seasons actually go, it's the September 22nd. And then like, I think every other year it's like the 23rd or something like that. It's the same with all the months. And then they're like three or seasons. And then they're like three months per season. Like winter technically ends in like January, I think. It has to, I mean, spring can't, you can't say spring starts until February at the very earliest. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But even yeah, like that's February doesn't feel like spring. I don't, no, March, I don't know. Who, I don't know who decided all these things. It seems it always I'm like this seems just fucking random. And I know it's not. Like I know it's probably like extremely scientific. But I'm like, it seems like you guys were just like, yeah, I do like that date. And then like sometimes it'll be that date. It's like the whole month of February. And just like, why do we have this month that one set of every four years is longer, and otherwise it's only twenty? Like, just make a calendar that makes sense. Wow. Hot takes from Matt today. February is dumb. It's what I'm hearing. February is stupid. No, not February itself. February, I think, just gets a short short stick or whatever. Um, I just think the calendar in general, I'm like, it's dumb. That's fair. That's fair. Time is a concept, and who, whoever decided seasons obviously didn't you know, anticipate us having climate crises every five minutes now. So what is summer? What is spring? you know, email us, let us know what you think. So let's get to it. My question of the day for you, Matthew, which NFL team impressed you most on opening weekend? We just got through Sunday football. Me and Matt were actually together watching the Bucks Saints game. We talked about all the action, but I want to know which NFL team impressed you most on opening weekend. Yes, there are four teams playing tonight, but of the teams that have played so far. Um, I'll be surprised if one of the four teams tonight became my most impressive team i don't know if a win over any of those teams is that i I guess if the giants you know just went off well okay that's <laughs> i am really just digressing anyway i was i was very tempted to pick the cardinals going into san francisco i mean defending nfc champs one of the best defenses in the league last year but with the new mug 
with just the fact that I want to be a homer, I went with my Green Bay Packers. Uh, they won 43 to 34, 43 to 34 over Minnesota in Minnesota. Now I know there's no fans. So like part of that home field advantage, certainly in a dome is negated by that. But regardless on the road against a division rival, Aaron Rodgers, 32 for 44 with 364 yards and four touchdowns led, you know, offense really was led by Devonte Adams who snagged 14 of those uh, 156 yards and two touchdowns for him. Aaron Jones got 66 yards and a touchdown. Running defense, I mean, Dalvin Cook got two touchdowns, but he still had 50 yards on 12 carries. So running defense looked improved, um, got a turnover. So I thought it was a great game. I mean, when your offense explodes like that in game one against a good defense in Minnesota, that's that's a good sign. So I was pumped with with how Green Bay looked, and that's a big win to start the season, going into Minnesota and and winning that. A team that, I mean, I think most people thought Minnesota was going to win the North, and they certainly still could. It's only week one, but that's the – the kind of results you want to see if you're the Packers. So Green Bay, my most impressive team. You are such a homer. No, but I agree. I am. Green Bay Green Bay looked impressive. And here's what I'm saying, right? If they can play this way down the stretch, they will probably end up in an NFC Championship game again. And I'm saying if they can do that and they don't win the Super Bowl, then the next season, which will probably be Aaron Rodgers' last really impressive season that it can be before he starts to taper off, I say you trade Jordan Love for a really good receiver and you go all in for it. Honestly, I know that he's supposed to be the future, but if Aaron Rodgers has one more year and you can win it now with Aaron Rodgers one more time, I say it's worth it. And I don't think that the you know upside of Jordan Love necessarily would negate a championship if you get a good receiver for him now. I'm not saying the Packers can't do it without a good another good receiver. They obviously have Devontae Adams and those other guys performed when they needed to. But if they had one more good receiver, that team would be so dead. I mean, they would be unstoppable, that offense. It, it just comes down to uh, what we think is going to happen there. For me, it was the Seattle Seahawks is what I'm going to say. I think in a dual game against the Atlanta Falcons, which has such a good offense, I mean, Russell Wilson looked better than ever through four touchdowns. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both highly rated receivers. They both top 90 yards. Chris Carson contributed in the receiving game with two touchdowns. You know, the defense was not as stout as we might think. Um, and they did let the Falcons roll a little bit. But 25 points against one of the hot, you know hottest offenses in the league. Because, you know, you have Todd Gurley. You have Julio Jones. You have Calvin Ridley who's coming into his own. You have Matt Ryan who loves to air it out. You have Russell Gage. You have a lot of good players there. So I don't think 25 points is all that bad in this shootout game. And you still have Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. They've got the ground game option that they didn't even utilize against the Falcons. I mean, there were only 13 rushes between those two, you know, quote unquote, timeshare running backs. And I think that's just another area of their game that they can dominate it. And so for me, the Seattle Seahawks, mostly because of the great play by Russell Wilson. Yeah, dude, Russ is... uh... He's on one of my fantasy teams, and he's a good pickup. He has to do he has to do a lot in that offense, so he's good for fantasy. I will see if. I mean, last year I feel like down the stretch, a lot of those weapons and just the offensive line let him down so much. Or like you can only run around and try and lift a team up by yourself. But they looked solid yesterday. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think they got a good culture there. I think they're always going to be in the mix. 
And uh, we'll see if that defense can shore it up a little bit. And we'll see what the running game ends up being. Because regardless of this game, you're right. Russell Wilson can't do it all by himself. If they ask Russell Wilson to, four, you know, to throw five touchdowns a game, this team is not going to get out of their division. But if Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde can create a good one-two punch, especially with Chris Carson being a good receiving option, that becomes dangerous. Now all of a sudden, you do have a contender, I believe. Dude, I think, uh, and we'll talk much more about NFL in our next episode later in the week, but that NFC West is is brutal. I mean, you got Seahawks, Niner, Niners lost, but they lost to the Cardinals. Like if the Cardinals are, are good enough to go into San Francisco, uh, then they're going to be a playoff threat. And I don't think San Francisco is – I don't think you like to start sounding the horn that their season's over just because of a loss. And then you have the Rams who won yesterday. Like NFC West could be – could be a real bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i been hearing this from commentators all over the place, and I agree. It could be the first time we have four teams from one division qualify if they can all win the games that aren't in their division. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if all four teams make it. I do think my alarm bells aren't ringing off for the 49ers. I think what we saw exposed, what we've known all along, right? The defense is great. Yes, the Cardinals exposed it but that's also because they have two highly talented players in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and that was just shown so I think that was more a home coming out party for those two playing together in the first game rather than necessarily the 49ers being a bad defense but Jimmy Garoppolo is the worst quarterback in that division he is the worst quarterback in that division he is worse than Russell Wilson he is worse than Kyler Murray and after last night's game he's worse than Jared Goff he just is. Yeah. And so he's never going to lead you to those games where you need to win against a good team. And honestly, hot take, he gets benched game seven for CJ Beathard because they can't handle it anymore. I think, <laughs> dude, I, Yannick said he was going to be coming in with the hot takes. I, that is <laughs> a scolding hot take to think that if it happens. The guy, it, I mean, he would have to play I said game seven. He'd have to play so bad. Like they'd have to not win a game and he would have to be like the sole reason. And I don't think he was the sole reason they lost last night. Like his play's got a dip. So he did take him to the Super Bowl last year. So like he has got some currency there. But uh that'd be hilarious. Mostly right, mostly because but- he'd be right and it would be a real surprise. But I don't like Bethard's played before for them, so like it's one of those things too where like I don't I feel like you wouldn't bench him because you know, like some of us are like, well, well, let's see what this guy can do. But like, we've seen what Beathard can do in the pros and he, it's not really much. So it's not like you've got like someone to like turn to, to be like, Hey, maybe, maybe you can get this thing turned around. Right. And you know, I'm looking at their schedule. It does seem unlikely that they, you know, lose out for a little bit. They have the jets and the dolphins on their list in the next couple of games, but I can see a world where they lose to the Giants. I can see a world where, you know, Carson Wentz picks it up and beats them. I can see a world where they lose to the Rams. And then in game seven, they play my Patriots. CJ Beathard goes in to beat them because Jimmy Garoppolo can't get it done. That's what I'm saying. It's happening here. You heard it. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm amazing. Anyway. <laughs> they'd have to, they, so they like they'd have to be zero and six. I can't let this, right. I'm not saying I'm not saying zero and six. I'm saying, but if, that's if the only they, way he gets benched. Like no, if they if, if they, they beat the Jets, maybe the one and five, maybe okay, maybe. But even two and four, I don't like. 
two and five, two and five. If you're two and five and you're losing to the Patriots, I think that's, I think then you can bench him for the, if he's like thrown two interceptions in the game, which he can against the Patriots. Yeah. Um, all right. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm it's trying a, so hard to get game. that on my, <laughs> you're not getting, I mean, I like it now. It's fine. You know, it's, you go. know, it's not a hot take. Uh, Bill O'Brien is a moron. Bill O'Brien is a moron. Texans Bill O'Brien out just absolutely flat on Thursday. And then on Sunday, DeAndre Hopkins absolutely dominates. Like it's like one of those times where like a trade, and obviously there's still more to come, but I think the writing's on the wall for who won or lost this trade. Like for a trade like that to so immediately be like, yep, this is exactly what we thought was gonna happen, you moron. And it to happen is uh, how how do you have a job still, Bill O'Brien? He shouldn't have a job. He's had so much going against him from like a couple years. And if I'm Deshaun Watson and I'm watching that Cardinals game, I am livid. I'm going to him in the morning and saying, if you want me to stay next year, like if you don't want me to just create a freaking hassle, even after this contract extension, you better, you better do something. Cause I will, I'm, I'm the face of this team and I will not stand for this. Anyway, I do think that, the situation equates itself to Matt, you know, you're let's say you're in a relationship with a really nice lady. She's really pretty. She's really smart. She's everything you could want, but you're just not feeling it. You're just not feeling it for whatever reason. And you, and you, and you decide, like you know, me. I, I, I <laughs> sounds, sounds like me. He says, and he, and you know, you go to her and you say, I'm just not feeling it. Sorry. You know, best of luck to you. And then, in three days, you turn on the TV and she's dating Kyler Murray. That is what the dip, that is, that is like basically what it is. That'd be sick. That is basically what it is. It is sick, but it also, you hate yourself. Yeah. You do hate yourself. True. I'd want to true, date. True, I'd true. rather date Kyler Murray. That's true. I would rather date Kyler Murray too. Kyler Murray, how wealthy, where you at? How wealthy was this fake girlfriend of mine? There's, you didn't know. She was really wealthy. Oh, well, I, oh. well, I would find that out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I, don't know if you right. remember, I don't know if you remember the beginning of this episode. I mentioned how broke I am. So Matt's a gold digger, everybody. I don't know if you know. We just have to get I that said. off the table. That's not what I said. I just would be aware of the financial situation. I didn't say it was a deal breaker or not or a deal maker. <laughs> it's just something. It's just something to keep in mind. I understand. Yeah. I got you. Wink, wink, wink. I got you. I got you for sure. Uh, let's move on to our talk of the day. Uh, the NHL playoffs are almost here. Um, not playoffs. Sorry. The final is almost here. Where have you been? We haven't been going that long. Yikes. 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 We have fun. The Stanley cup final is almost here. We have fun. And two teams lead three to one in our game away from a finals ticket. In the West, you have the Dallas Stars leading the Las Vegas Golden Knights somehow. And they play an elimination game tonight, the Golden Knights do. And I just have to say, this should not be happening. I mean, you know, there are teams that you underrate and there are teams that you overrate. But this is not even an example of that. The Dallas Stars are not as good as a 3-1 to rating against the Golden Knights would have you think. And the Golden Knights are not as bad as a 3-1 to rating in this conference final that they would have you think. And the Golden Knights have played better than the Stars across the series. And I just think the Stars are very fortunate with the goals they've been able to hit. And let's just put it out there, the brilliant goaltending by Stars keeper Anton Kadobin. I mean, he has saved 119 of 125 shots in the series. So, of course, it's been really hard for the Golden Knights. 
And but like I I can say that all I want that it's it's surprising it shouldn't be happening. But here the Golden Knights are they're battling history. I mean since 1982 teams with a three to one lead in the conference finals have won 34 of 35 series and teams leading three to one in any NHL best of seven series have won 91 percent of the time. Now Vegas is favored in this game five tonight at minus 170. But you know the Stars have been the underdogs for this entire series, so that's not surprising. And I just think the Golden Knights need to figure out a way past Kadobin and they'll get back in this one. You know, he has stopped all those shots, but if they can start to score, I don't think the Dallas Stars have never necessarily shown their offense like they showed it in the previous series. And the Golden Knights can come back in this one. But the Stars are up in this series because of the grind of their Stars players, you know, of Pavelski, of Radulov, of Ben. And they've held the Golden Knights to six goals in four games, which is impressive considering the team Las Vegas has. At the same time, they've only scored six goals in four games. So they need to figure it out. If the Golden Knights figure out how to score past Kadobin, it's over. The Golden Knights are going to win three straight, and you'll have a four to three series. And I think game five is going to be indicative of that. I think the Golden Knights are too good not to find a way past Kadobin. I think they win this one. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think, I mean, we'll talk about the other series, and I think that one feels pretty wrapped up. But this one, even though the Knights are down 3 1, I like, I, I just don't put them out yet, you know? And I think sometimes you like, they get, if they get a win tonight and, and play like they know they can and, you know, have the puck kind of break a little more in their favor as opposed to the stars. Um, like three, two, like three, one sounds daunting. Three, two, you're like, we can, we can do this. Like we can win two games. It, like, so I, I think the stars are going to get it done. I think they, they'll still will progress because they've just been, very level-headed that series against Colorado like it they were dominating it and then they kind of seemed to let it fall away from them and were still able to kind of be resilient and and get that game seven win so they've shown that heart that they have so I think Dallas is gonna win this series Um, I still think Vegas wins tonight and I don't think Vegas is out of it but um, I do think Dallas impressively is gonna make the Stanley Cup and try to win I believe their second Stanley Cup. I believe so. I would believe it would be their second Stanley Cup. And man, I just, I agree. I can't, I can't, somehow they're 3-1 down and I can't see the Golden Knights losing this. Like, of course, of course it's possible and it's honestly likely because of the scoreline and on paper. But I've just, in all the games, they've they've just looked to the better team other than the scorelines sometimes. And at the same time, though, scorelines what matters. Doesn't matter what the what the players look like if you can't get the goals in. So we'll see what happens there. If the Dallas Stars do go to the finals, Matt, they will be the underdog, and it won't even be close because in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Tampa Bay Lightning lead our New York Islanders 3-1, to and it's not close. It's truthfully, truthfully not close. The Tuesday night Game 5 matchup to see if the Islanders can stay in it. The Islanders have a great line. You know, they have a very exciting front line, front two lines, really, but... They just can't hold the Lightning out in this one. They've allowed 18 goals in four games. Lightning have the better scorers, Point and Palat score at will, and Kucherov pulls the strings in good times and in bad, like he got the winning goal in that 2-1 to victory in Game 2. And Lightning have the better defense, too. They've held a talented Islanders front line to an average of two, two and a quarter goals per game. Sergachev looks like a leader in the back. Vasilevsky is reliable. I mean, you know, I've talked to you. I love my Landers, but... 
in my head, this is done and dusted, regardless of if the Landers win on Tuesday. This is done and dusted. I think the Lightning win in five, and they are the undisputed favorites for the Stanley Cup Finals after Las Vegas has kind of struggled against the Stars. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Lightning have looked, especially after, I mean, after that Bruins series where they lost game one and then just rattled off four, like they, they just looked strong the entire time. I mean, they flew by the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets were playing well and they've handled the Islanders. Islanders have had, you know, maybe a lucky kind of draw. The Caps weren't playing their best. Certainly Philly wasn't the most daunting one seed that we've seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Tampa Bay's dominated this series as they've dominated all their series. I mean, they've, they've lost a total of three games this entire playoffs. And I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Just they're, they're clearly the favorite in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I think it's over tomorrow. I just don't see the Islanders even having enough fight to, to force a game six. It's just the lightning. They just have too much, and they're, all, they're hitting on all cylinders when they need to be. If anything, it's just surprising they weren't the one seed in the in the Eastern Conference. Like you go back to the seeding games, you're like, what was going on? Because they have looked pretty clearly the best team in the East, and I, you know, I would argue the the NHL. Right, and we were giving you know the Vegas the benefit of the doubt as the best team because of how they performed in their seeding st- seeding games, but those seeding games didn't mean anything. That it, that was shown by the Flyers that you know was first place and and seemed to be like flying if you can you know forgive my uh, pun oh uh, come on oh that was right in front of me i had to hit it so but that didn't matter and you know look at the abs they look like maybe the team to beat you know in the west too and golden knights you know snuff them out i i it's an interesting tournament like the stanley cup playoffs always is and I just think the Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team. So if you're from Tampa Bay, know that you shouldn't put your eggs in the Bucks basket. You should put them with the Lightning. And that is all I'll say. NHL, exciting as always. Stanley Cup Finals coming up soon. And it, it will be crazy. I think if it's the Las Vegas Golden Knights can come back, play the Lightning, that's going to be one of the most exciting series we've seen in a while. I do I do believe that. I think the I think the Golden Knights are the one team that can beat the Lightning. I don't think the Dallas Stars can do it. The Dallas Stars, if they win uh, you know, tonight and they beat the Golden Knights, or if they win the series in general, they will have won because they're grinders and they got a little lucky. That's just the truth of it. And yeah. I, who, Sometimes that's all you need. Favorite? Sometimes that's all you need. Look at Croatia in the World Cup final. You know, they, they, the they Blues, were not necessarily the Blues like, last year in, in like the Stanley Cup. Like, right. It's been that's true. They've just been. That's, I mean, that's such a high, it's like such a hockey sort of mentality and a way to, to win. Like, you don't, it doesn't always have to be pretty. It doesn't always, always, always have to be the best, but as long as it's effective. Yep. There you go. Right from the mouth of Matthew Smith. It just has to be effective. And who's been your favorite player from, from these playoffs? That's in the, that's in the league and that's in the finals. Sorry. That's in the playoffs still. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd probably go, I mean, I mean, it's tough to, to not pick a lightning player. Uh, so I'm going Nikita Kucherov, 19 to six, 19 assists, pardon me, six goals, 25 points is tied for the highest in, in the entire playoffs. He's just so influential to that attack and, and to creating opportunities for his other players. Um, 19 assists is the highest in the playoffs. So he, he's just one of those guys that's so crucial to how they tick and uh, 
when he's on, they're more efficient and more high-powered offense. Yeah, honestly, Nikita Kucherov is the LeBron James of this playoffs. He is. He used to be the point man for the scorers, and now that he's got Palat and Point that can score everything, and Yanni Gord to an extent, he's just become the assist man, and he scores when he knows his team needs him to score. You know? And that's what I'm saying. Nikita Kucherov, LeBron James, same person! (laughs) I wonder how many times Nikita Kucherov and uh, LeBron have been... (laughs) have been compared uh probably not a lot and yeah i i one of the few. I, don't I like it. it i mean i i stand with that one more than than garoppolo getting uh benched i love i think that's a nice connection oh you're gonna feel so silly in, in six weeks you're gonna feel so silly I, uh <laughs> well I about- so because that's a good that's a good sign for the packers right exactly that would be a good sign for the packers the the ones that eliminated you are sucking that bad. That would be something that you're hoping for. And let's talk about another sport that is in kind of that that reached its final stage actually. So not before its finals. We're actually in its finals in the last couple of days. That was the US Open. Matt, what happened at the US Open this weekend? Dude, all sorts of stuff. We're gonna even have to go, <laughs> we're gonna even have to go back another week because there's no way we can't talk about Novak Djokovic. But it was an incredible – yeah, come on, dude. Dude sucks. Um, an incredible U.S. Open. It was awesome. You know, I, I remember a few months ago I was talking to a buddy, and I I didn't think they were going to have it. Like, I thought it was certainly canceled. Um, but since moving to New York, like, it's just – it's something I care about more. I used to not be a big tennis guy, and then I remember it was Andy Murray's run at Wimbledon where he was, like, the first British player to win at Wimbledon in forever, like, since Queen Victoria – and it was oh, yeah. it was so Victoria's much fun, famous, yeah. Famous Wimbledon win, yeah. She she killed it. She was <laughs> like Ken John Un's like I was shot in eighteen. Um, I'm not <laughs> I'm not comparing those two historical people. So just to make that clear before I fumble up. Anyway, um, before I get myself in trouble with historical people or with north korea i think yeah. they might be mad at you and more <laughs> i was talking about how he shot an 18 at least that's what he told us i think it was an 18 it might have, it might have been like a 25 we're just like what what a dumb thing to lie about no you didn't no you didn't so since moving to new york though just love the open and this one i was so happy they were able to have it and especially once it happened i mean it was one of the most exciting tournaments i've seen maybe that's just because we've been missing tennis for so much but the women's tournament was won by the wonderful Naomi Osaka, her second U.S. Open and third Grand Slam title. She d- defeated Victoria Azarenka, who was in her first final since 2013, uh, when she both made the Australian Open and made the U.S. Open final that year. Azarenka got off real hot. She won the first set 6-1, to one, looked like the veteran might be finally taking home another ma- or Grand Slam, pardon me. But Osaka turned it around, won the next two sets, 6-3, both sets to take home the crown. As I said, her third Grand Slam total. She was rocking a Kobe jersey, you know, during the final day. Uh, The entire tournament, she had face masks with different names of people with police brutality. So both someone to, you know, aspire not only on their uh, ability on the court and winning the Grand Slam, but also just who they are as a leader. It was was powerful stuff out of her. And a a terrific job. I mean, the, the woman's got three Grand Slam titles. At 22, 23, I mean, still so young and already feels like a name that everyone 
in tennis knows and knows about. So certainly just starting her career and it was a great, it was a great win for Osaka. Part of the reason Azarenka was there was the wonderful Serena Williams had to be beaten in the semis by Azarenka and her drought continues. Last Grand Slam was 2017 Aussie Open. She's still stuck at 23 titles, which is like a weird, oh, yep, stuck at 23 as if it's really bad. But one behind Margaret Court at 24 for the most of our time. And Jan, I don't know, know what your thoughts are on this. I mean, do you think do you think Serena can get 24? Do you think there's any way she can get 25 and and get the the record just as the sole holder? With Serena Williams, there's always a way, right? Like she wasn't the best player in this tournament and she still got to the semis. And she could have gotten to the finals, you know, had it had it not been for some good play by Azarenka. So yeah, there's always a chance. And you know, who knows with how sports goes in the next couple of years, you know, if if there's another open where there's some big names missing for whatever reason, you know, like we had kind of with the men's with Nadal and Federer not being there, you know, you, she can she could win. I don't think she will. I think we saw Serena for, you know, unless she takes some serious times off and works on how she can change her game to work with her, just the less endurance that she has, you know, she's not young anymore. And because of that, every game that she plays with that high strength that she has is exhausting. And she basically has to win in straight sets or the next game is going to be affected. And she didn't do that in a lot of games here. And it showed, right? When she won against Plintkova in the quarterfinals, I watched that game. And even though I saw Serena win, I had already marked her as a loss in the semifinals. Not because Azarenka is better than her and not because Azarenka is more younger than her, but because she looked gassed. And the only reason she won that game was because Plinkova played right into her hands, playing right at her, and Serena can beat anybody with her strength. You know, I I kind of see it as like with a Federer and Nadal as well. Will they win another Grand Slam? Probably, but there are so many players that are more talented and, you know, just have more energy with them. I mean, she would have gotten beat straight sets by Osaka if Osaka had played her in the final. That's just the truth. If she had somehow come again with another grinding win against Azarenka and look at the, you know, plethora of young female players in the game, they are all so good. You know, Slitalina and all the, the female players, the Jennifer Brady's, the Sloan Stevens, you know, they're all just as good and, and younger and just have that, you know, kind of endurance still that Serena doesn't have. I think Serena always has a chance and I'm going for her in every tournament she's in for sure. But, you know, I think it's going to be very hard for her to win a 24th unless some luck befalls her way in the draw or, you know, some, you know, if Osaka gets upset, for example, and Jennifer Brady's in the final and, and, you know, Serena plays her fine. I can see that happening then, but I'm going to say no, but I very, very hope that I'm wrong. Yeah, it's one of those questions I don't even like sometimes talking about because I'm like, I really, really want to say yes. Like, I really, I want her to get 24. I want her, and I think if she gets 24, I think that'll be enough for her to get to 25. Like, I, I think, like, I think she's that will be just enough mentally to be like, yes, I can push through. I can go get 25. So I think if she gets the 24th, I think she breaks court's record uh, at 24. Um, but I don't think she's going to get 24. I mean, this if she would have beaten Azarenka and made it to the final, I agree. She would have lost, and that would have been her third straight U.S. Open final loss. 
She's made it to Wimbledon in the last two years, lost both those finals. She just, she doesn't have the gas. Like she doesn't have it in her tank anymore. And like, it, I think we can say this like long-term too, because this has happened several years before this year. Like, cause this year, maybe you could have been like, well, you know, the coronavirus and there's this and that, like a lot of different factors that are, you know, playing into the fact that it'd be tough to maybe be at full strength, especially as someone who's played a lot of tennis. I mean, over 20 years of, of professional tennis on those legs. So, but we've seen it in years before where she just doesn't have the energy and, and stuff to, to see it through to the final, to play those three set matches that you have to play when it comes to the semis and, and to the finals because the tennis players are just better. So I, I basically had the same answer as you is like, gosh, I really, really hope so. Like she deserves it. She's, I still, whether she gets it or not, I think she's the greatest women's tennis player of all time by a, by a long shot. Like I, I like, I don't think it's close. I don't care if, if court has 24, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't see her breaking the record, unfortunately. Yeah. It does become a little bit like what matters more the way in which you won your championships or like the number title of the most championships, you know, like it does become right. a little bit of a question. I think she might not end up being, and I'm talking genderless here. She might not end up being, the greatest quarter, the greatest, uh, greatest tennis player of all time, but she is the best tennis player of all time in my in my eyes. She, she's just so dominant, and I mean, there were years where you're just like Serena's going to win every single game that she plays and every single tournament and sweep the Grand Slams, and she's just phenomenal. And and so everything that we're saying about her reaching court's record, it's just a hopeful ice, you know, cherry on top. It has nothing to do with what her legacy is. She could retire tomorrow. She could lose seven more and retire. She would still be that great tennis player. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's, she's one of the all time greats and it's just, you know, she's one of the all time greats because people like her so much too. And I think that's why everyone's like, yeah, get the, get the record. But I think it's going to be tough. I mean, not getting I'll be so hype if she gets it. It would be great. It would, I so mean, but I think too, once you get to this point, no matter how great you are as a player or not, like I think we saw with this with Tiger Woods, like it becomes a mental thing of like, you're like, I just can't, I just can't get this one thing done. I just can't get over this one sort of thing. So I think that starts coming into play now that the, it's been a few years and she gets far in tournaments, but then her legs give out. So, but we hope her the best. And, and again, congratulations to Naomi Osaka who, who won her third grand slam. And she, as one of the many faces of the next kind of generation of tennis, she has a bright, bright career in front of her. I don't think that'll be her last Grand Slam or or U.S. Open title. As for the men, we saw uh, a couple guys trying to win their first Grand Slam titles themselves. Dominic Tam and Alexander. How do I say it again, Jan? I always say it wrong. Zverev. 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 I always think I always think I make it more complicated than I need to. I do that with, oh, yeah. I do no, that with a lot of names. It's hard, yeah, because, you know, it is. It's hard. But, yeah, it's just Zverev. Like, it's a beautiful You name. just say the V. Zverev. Yes. All right. Well, Dominic Zverev. Tam and Alexander Zverev gave us a final to remember on the men's side. Zverev came back in the semifinals when he was down 2-0 to Pablo Carrena Busta. And it was a tremendous effort by the Zverev. Um, when you're down 2-0 like that, and it was, I think, I believe – 
Karen Obusta had never lost a Grand Slam match when he was up 2-0, and Severev had never come back when he is down 2-0. So both those records were broken when Zverev was able to fight back and end up winning that match 3-2. On the other side, Tem battled Daniel Medvedev, winning 3-0, although the last two sets were both both went into tiebreakers. So one of those 3-0 matches that's a lot closer than than it would have looked if you just saw that that 3-0 scoreline. But the final was the true drama. This time it was Zverev going up 2-0, but Tim was not done. He fought back winning 6-4, 6-3, and then 7-6 with the 8-6 tiebreaker in the final set to win 3-2. Truly an unbelievable final. I mean, you and me were watching this one together. It was one of the – I mean, you're watching every every bounce of the ball. Tim earns his first Grand Slam title. It was Zverev's first final that he's ever been in. So such a bright future for a guy who's 20 – he's 23. I mean, the guy's extremely young. Lots of great talent that's coming up, you know. And I think, you know, with the big three getting older, you know, Nadal, Djokovic, 34, 33, but Federer's 39. There's a lot of young faces in, in tennis to be excited about. Um, I obviously want to hear your thoughts on the final, but also kind of some of the guys because I think Tim and Zverev certainly are both guys that would be in this answer. Of who do you Who do you see – kind of be in the face of tennis in five to 10 years. And then you can, you can say men and, and women's players, um, but just some people that you think are going to kind of be the, the Djokovic, the Nadal, the Serena of, of the future. Right. And I mean, <clears throat> I talked about it before. There are so many on the female side, young, young female players that are kind of just on the precipice. Right. I mean, you look at, and I'll say some names that you you might not even kind of understand how how you know young they are. But um, if we even look at the like the WTA rankings, for example, right? Naomi Osaka is third. You know, she's so young. Sophia Kennan, I believe that she is twenty one years old. Yeah, she is fifth, and she's from America. So that kind of gives you like who's going to take over the American mantle. From Serena Williams, is it going to be Sophia Kennan? She had another good tournament. She didn't do as as well as you would have liked, but she had another good tw- tournament. <clears throat> Svitolina from Ukraine, I believe that she is, you know, 25, 26, but still kind of a younger person as well. She's great. I think she's got so much talent and so much power. I definitely think that she could, you know, take that mantle too. Bianca Andreescu from Canada, also really great. She won a Grand Slam recently, I believe. It might have been the Australian, and I believe she's it might have been... She's 20. She's, She's 20 years old. She is a freaking child. And you have other ones too. You have risk. You have keys. You have Jen- Jennifer Brady is not young, but she's a younger. Uh, I think Anisimova is also another. Anisimova is 19 years old, 19 years old. And she's also ranked in the WTA. So there's like the female side. There's too many to count. Uh, the male side. I mean, Ashley, <clears> Bar- <throat> Ashley Barty is 24. Like the actually, Sab- see, I'm, that's Sabalanka, Sabalanka is 22. Like so many, like it feels like almost all the the best players right now are on that younger side, which probably right, goes again. Makes- which probably goes again to like why it's tough for Serena at times because like they they're as old as how long she's been playing professional tennis. Like <laughs> she's been doing this for 22 years. So you got all these people that are 22, 24, 20. Like that makes a difference. It just does. Yeah. Especially, you know, you're on courts and, and your knees only have so much shock impact. You know, that's just like how the sport is. My dad used to play tennis and he, so many knee surgeries, so many knee surgeries, but 
yeah, we talked about the men's side. Dominic team not as young, but still another younger face. And he definitely has been knocking on the door for a long time uh, of kind of being a winner. And he gets his win. So happy for him. Um, we talked about Alexander Sverev, right? And and you have you look a little bit down the line. I would say that the top 20 is still dominated by people in their later 20s, early 30s. But look at Denis Shapovalov from Canada. Did well this thing. Obviously lost to Corinna Busta. But Denis Shapovalov from Canada, I think he's great. And um, another Canadian that I really like is Felix uh, Auger Aliasimi. He's been he's like 19, I believe. He's he's crazy good. He kind of made a slight bit of a run in this tournament. And I like um, there's I mean, Medvedev, I believe, who is kind of like everybody thinks he's going to take over for Djokovic. He kind of has that same. Per- yeah. Medvedev's 24 years old. I mean, that's yeah, how old Med- he's really, Daniel yeah. Medvedev is. And on the other side of that, Rublev, uh, who he played it to kind of make it into the semifinals, is 22 years old. So you have two kind of talented Russians coming out of there. And there is one more player from America. I'm not sure how old he is. Let's check. Oh, Francis Tiafo, who I thought was really good. I mean, obviously Medvedev, you know, aced him out of there, but Medvedev is so good. It's hard to say, but he went to the round of 16. <clears throat> TFO is 22 years old out of America. So I think that he's got a really good chance. I mean, just so many good players, but I definitely think Zverev and team have shown that they are kind of at the top of that stack. It's been, it's been weird. Like, Nadal and Federer, even with their age, especially Federer, still beat everybody. It's kind of crazy to see how long their tournament is. But now they're doing the smart thing, in my opinion. They're skipping three tournaments to win one. And that's just what you have to do at the age of 39. And that's just true. Load management. In tennis, it actually makes sense. So you just have to. When When most of your money is made off of endorsements, too. Like You're like, yeah, I'll come out every now and then. Otherwise, just keep paying me watch companies and adidas and Nike. like those guys make so much i mean it's like golf where like you make your most of your cat that's why that's why tiger never has to play like because he still has all these promotion stuff and he's made you know and even them they've all made a decent amount of coin in their careers but yeah it's definitely going to be interesting to see in like five years who we're talking about at the top you know djokovic i think he's had such a good run at the top but my problem with Djokovic is that he's got some he's got some growing up to do still. How do you still have growing up to do when you've been the number one for this long, when you are, you know, in your 30s, and he's still doing dumb things, saying dumb things, and it's just... Because tennis players are ruined. babies. <laughs> I think they're worse than baseball players. Like, baseball players, I get everyone that doesn't watch soccer be like, you seen a soccer player flop? I'm like, yeah, I get it. First off, that's part of the strategy. So, like, get over it or don't. Like, I'm not going to make you watch soccer. Second off, you run at full speed ahead and get knocked over and not fall to your feet. But my more of my point is that the tennis players are babies. I turned on a U.S. Open match. I think it was – I think it was Shapovalov. Shapovalov. Wow. Shapovalov. Shapovalov. That was – that's just going to be my – that's going to become my tongue twister just to warm me up before the Chipotle. show now. Chipotle. Yeah. And I turned it on and he was just like dressing down this judge or, you know, ump ref. I don't know what they're called in tennis. I think it's a judge. Um, it's judge line judge. Yeah. yeah. And like about just like, they're like, just use some common sense, like just a little bit, like was just the most demeaning, like douchey way to 
attack this judge. Like I couldn't imagine another like sport, like a player talking to like a ref or an ump like that. And I was just like, you are acting like a child. Here's what I'll say in defense of that. I agree. I've seen some antics. I mean, look at Djokovic and how he hit the ball boy. You know, that's just kind of how it is. And Serena Williams even had a run in and yelling at the judge, you know, in that infamous kind of tournament. And I'm cool with yelling at the judge. Right. But here's the thing. Here's what I'll say. Tennis is a sport that is unlike some in that you are calling your own game a little bit. You know, the judge is there and you can challenge in things. But like, I think in a game where it's like as if a quarterback made a pass and the defensive player could just be like, not a pass. Like that's, there is a little bit of that. And there is a lot of frustration that comes with that. And I think that causes a lot of, and there's one person you can put it at, you know, you can't put it at the other person. You know, you can't, they don't get mad at each other very often. They get mad at the line judge for not giving it their way. So I think it, it that creates a little bit of like a weird feeling, but I do agree. Shapovalov, I saw that too on the internet and I'm like, wow, you're such a good player. Why am I seeing this on the internet? I have no problem with being upset with a ref or an ump. Like sometimes they're not perfect. That's part of human error, but it's more of like the way, like, yeah, go ahead and be upset. Like I was fine with Serena's like Serena's was just pissed off. Like I'm cool with that, but like they get so childish and like whiny about it. And like, like you're just like, how are you not doing this for me? The tennis god that is playing on this court, where I'm like, you guys are tools. Yeah, get I over mean, yourself. They're out there on their own, so they they can't. They either have to blame themselves, or they have to blame the refs, and they never blame themselves. So they can blame the refs. Just do it and act like a goddamn grown up. <laughs> That's all. Okay, I but have. what would but what would you say the difference between? Shapovalov yelling at that ref was and and any defensive guy that gets mad at a PI call they also do stupid things I'm not, I don't think that that's so much different I don't think I don't like it's more like the demeaning way of like them going after them like the like the per, like the way that like tennis players do it is like they like belittle these judges a lot and I don't see that with like football maybe they do maybe I but like most of the time it is like yeah, they're yelling a complaint. They might be like yelling at the ref, but like they're not like. I, I don't know. I, mean, I think, it, I think it, like I think it's I think, like it's. I can't. I guess put into total words the total difference of it, but like they act like bigger crybabies. Because uh, like I said, I'm fine with complaining against the ref, but tennis players are. They're just so whiny. Right. And I guess the refs are protected more in other sports. Like you can't talk to the refs like that in some sports. Otherwise you get yeah, you'll get like a and technical I, and stuff. Right. So that's definitely part of it. And I also think what's part of it is that the calls that you're complaining about in tennis are so minute compared to some of the calls in football, you know, like you do have, you might have an instance where it's like, Hey, like this tie breaking game winning match, you know, point, was on the line. You said it was off off the line. How dare you? But at the same time, they're not. They make that call, and you can challenge it. Yeah, and then you can challenge it. So that's I don't, just the truth of it. Yeah. It's just the truth. Of it. And then so they just whine. I, yeah, they whine, and it's like, well, it was out. It was out. Did you see? Like, here's the. I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah, maybe you should have put it in. That's just what. That's what the rest should say. All of our problems. Yeah, I, they just yeah. have. They just have like this entitlement with all of their complaining. 
which right. I, I mean, remember that- for some people probably think that about like LeBron, but like, I don't think LeBron does it more as like, I'm your friend, ref, make my calls. Or like, these guys are like, you are a moron that's never used their brain, your brain before. And I can't believe that you're even allowed to watch me play tennis right now. That's fair. That's fair. And that, and that's you, the sport think- in general. Go ahead. Oh, the sport in general has a little bit of an entitlement problem. You know, that's just how tennis is born. It's yeah. a very entitled sport. Yeah, definitely. Which it's, uh, uh. but so, I mean, we mentioned Novak Djokovic, probably, I don't mean, even with all the amazing tennis, maybe still the story of the U.S. Open. He gets upset. He hits a ball, errantly goes and hits one of the, you know, ball boys or, I mean, I think it was a young woman, but hit one of the people out on, you know, the sideline of the court, helping out, like right in the throat. They kick him out of the tournament. He's done. That's part of the reason that uh, Karina Busto was in the semifinals to begin with, let alone the quarterfinals. Um, so do you think that was a worthy punishment? Did you think he deserved to get kicked out of the tournament? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because it's a it's a rule of the sport. It's a known rule. It's not some random like, oh, this has never happened before. So like, we're just going to rule on this because you're Novak Djokovic. It's a known rule. You know, it's just like the flagrant in, in the NBA. You know, sometimes it sucks. But like, here is the rule. And you deserve to be, you know, kicked out of the game if you break it. That's just how it is. And if we, if we start going on a case-by-case basis, then you know, it becomes like, should we ever call this? Because yeah. it's going to... Why have the rule? Fire. Right, have the rule. Exactly. And on another note, it's been it's been like well-documented that Novak Djokovic loves to get mad and hit the ball behind him. And he's been told again and again, don't do that. You're going to hit somebody. You're being reckless. And he continues to do it. So I don't care if he meant to or he saw her or who it was. I do not care how injured she was. He's been told this time and time again, it's like a football player leading with his head, even if he means to be well-intentioned, and he hurt someone this time, you know? And so he deserves to go, and and that's just it. And Djokovic knows better than that. He's more experienced than that. This isn't a young – this isn't a Nick Kyrgios situation where he's just a young hothead, right? This is a – the best tennis player in the world can't keep his shit together, and that's just ridiculous, and it's laughable, and he's done so much stuff like that that I – I all but write him off as somebody that I want to watch in tennis, even if he's at that good, honestly. He is a joker. That's what he is. Not just his nickname, but like the actual essence of him. Dude, so you do get my point about tennis players. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Boom. (laughs) See? No, I mean, this is the best tennis player in the world. One of the greatest of all time. And the guy's a baby. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I absolutely he deserved to get kicked out. And I saw one article that was like, tennis is had like hurting the rankings, like TV rankings, and like blah blah blah, like coronavirus. You got to keep Novak Djokovic in. But like, no, he doesn't hit somebody intentional or not with a tennis ball. They smack the shit out of those things. Like that could have really fucked somebody up. So right. like, I was like, yeah, kick him out. And and again, like it's like you're saying about the rule, like. If we're going to be like, well, we can't kick Novak out because he's so popular, then why do we? Why are there any rules at all? Like, just let the right. players find him. Just fucking do whatever they want. They can just go and drop their tennis ball on the other court and they win because that's all we care about. Like, no, get him out of there. 
Grow up, dude. Are you kidding me? I agree. Here's what I'll say, though. You didn't see any of this antics. Look at how long Nadal and Federer have been at the top. You've never seen either of them do any of this. So I do think that there are plenty of examples of players that can keep their stuff together. But for sure, I do. For sure. I do. I do just I he's it's been like this. He already got in trouble because he hosted crowds in the middle of coronavirus in Serbia to watch him play. He's full of himself and he thinks that because he's the best tennis player, that makes him the best person. And it doesn't. You know, I'm sorry, Djokovic. I'm the best person. Every record. Right. Matt's the best person. That's just the truth. It's Matthew Smith. And then they're going to be like, which one? And I'm going to be like, darn it. Take your your pick. Take your pick. But no, here's what I'll say to Novak Djokovic. Legacy is so much more when you become a winner. Legacy is so much more than how much you win or what records you break. Right. Like. I want you to know if you break every single record that Federer and Nadal have combined, you will still not be remembered like they will. So get your stuff together for the last couple of years of your career, and maybe you can fix a little bit of that. And he, and he came out and he said, I learned some valuable lessons. And we'll see. We'll see. Dude, but here's know. the thing. I mean, even if he doesn't change, I don't think – like it doesn't hurt tennis players when they're douchebag. Like John McEnroe is more famous now, I think, than he was when he was playing. And he was like, because I think too, like, and this is probably true, not even just for tennis, but like you get those guys that were jerks and hotheads. And when you look at it retrospectively, you're like, this is hilarious because you're not seeing it live. Like you're not thinking about like, oh my God, this is a lunatic. Like you're like more just like, this is really enjoyable to watch. This dude is absolutely pissed just going off. So right. I, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt. I don't think it's going to hurt his legacy. If he, I mean, him not getting past Nadal and Federer legacy wise is I think for a multitude of reasons. But I don't think like tennis fans will be like, ah, but he was a real jerk. Like, I think it'll be it'll be one of those things where like he was spirited. Like, you know, how like people have those different buzzwords that you use. He was controversial. Like, yeah, like like. So but there's that's tennis for you. That's all I got. That's tennis for you. No, that's fair. No, that's fair. But uh, it was an exciting U.S. Open to watch for sure. Naomi Osaka. A legend in the making, in my opinion. She's just unstoppable, looked unstoppable, stands for the right things. Congratulations to her. Congratulations to Dominic Team, who finally broke the duck.